When I was a little girl, I used to think parents were the protectors, the people I could look up to, the ones I could feel safe around, until that one moment when all of that changed. The way he had everyone believing he was a normal, everyday family man is amazing beyond words. The way he was able to manipulate everyone into thinking he was a loving, caring, hard-working provider. When underneath that he was a child-molesting, narcissistic, pathological liar and a psychological abuser. Sexual offending is overwhelmingly a relationship-based crime. Statistics tell us that the majority of rapes are committed by someone known to the victim within the home or a familiar place. Last year in Victoria, 66% of reported sexual offences took place at a residential location. These findings are similar in countries such as the United Kingdom, United States and New Zealand. As we've discussed, resistance from victims in response to sexual offending happens far less than many people think. A common reason for this is grooming. But what is grooming? Offenders groom their victims into compliance over time. Initially, some victims may not even realise that they've been a victim of an offence, but come to recognise the wrongdoing as time goes on. You're listening to Unspeakable, a podcast brought to you by Victoria Police. In this episode, we'll look at how offenders control and manipulate their victims into compliance and silence. This topic can be confronting to talk about, and for some people, difficult to listen to. In managing your well-being, we suggest only listening to Unspeakable with people you feel comfortable with and giving yourself permission to pause and start again later if you need to. As further assistance, we'll provide some support options at the end of the episode. The day my stepfather sexually abused me, my whole world fell beneath me. The way he groomed my family was well played. He would say to me that everyone would hate me and that my mother would throw me out on the street and disown me. This is Lucy. She's bravely shared her story with us. As an eight-year-old, Lucy was sexually abused by her stepfather. She's now in her 30s, but still suffers from what she describes as years of sexual and psychological abuse. Lucy isn't her real name, and we've used a voice actor to protect her identity. As Lucy describes, victims and even their families can be groomed. The offender finds ways in which to isolate the victim, in this instance, a child. In Lucy's case, her stepfather would find excuses to send her to her room. He would then send her siblings outside to play in order to gain exclusive access to her, leaving Lucy as the only witness to the abuse. He would ask me to go in the car to the shop with him in front of others so I couldn't say no. He gave me money to shut me up. He would wait until everyone was asleep in the house, get my mother drunk so he would creep in my room. He managed to destroy my social life by eliminating my friends. Lucy's accounts of her stepfather's deliberate behaviours are difficult to listen to, but are sadly not unique. There are two stages to how offenders groom victims, non-sexual and sexual. In the first stage, the offender prepares the victim and surrounding environment to establish power and control 
and create opportunities. In the second stage, they sexualize the relationship and establish the conditions for secrecy. To better understand how offenders groom, we spoke with William Wainwright. He's a forensic psychologist who works to support Victoria Police's sexual offence and child abuse investigation teams, also known as SOCKETS. William's been working in the forensics field since 2001, when he was a manager of the Victorian Sex Offender Treatment Program. From that, doing treatment, assessment, group and individual work, I found a real passion for dealing with people who exhibited difficult, complex and harmful behaviours. As discussed in episode two, understanding offender behaviour is critical to the investigation process. Making forensic psychologists available to Victoria Police's socket investigators helps to ensure they are properly trained to deal with sex offenders. The importance of understanding the behaviour means that we are better at investigating it, better at um, identifying it in uh, other people and better being able to um, respond effectively in time to reduce the offending, stop the offending um, and certainly um, uh, reduce any chance of perpetuation of the offending. William explains that there are common behaviours offenders use to groom, isolate and silence victims, creating opportunities for them to offend. Firstly look at how the offender creates uh, an environment where they have power, control and authority. They can do this in multiple ways, threats of violence, uh, having money, um, threats of splitting up families, um, controlling the, uh, the finances of the house, controlling um, uh, when people come and go, um, access to the children. All of these factors will contribute to creating an environment where they have control, they make the decisions um, of where these, the, for the access and the opportunity to offend. William says that these strategies help the perpetrator to create a situation in which the offending is less likely to be detected and reduce the chance of the victim reporting the abuse. In cases of adult to child grooming, the offender will use tactics such as games which have sexual elements to them or use words and terminology to make the offending appear less harmful in an attempt to normalise the abuse. This allows the offender to maintain authority and control once they've begun sexualising the relationship. Grooming isn't just about child victims. Sexual offenders also groom non-consenting adults. Different tactics may be used by offenders who groom adults. In adults, often it'll be uh, normalising the experience. This is what people do. Um, it, destroying or um, reducing a person's self-esteem and um, stating them this is all they're, they're worth, all they deserve, which again means the person accepts the behaviour or feels that any sort of report will not be believed. For instance, an offender may be charming, caring, buying the drinks, and then once the victim does not consent to sex or withdraws consent, they choose to rape. Blaming the victim for leading them on or similar is how the offender silences the victim. For these reasons, it can be difficult for other people to notice or identify offending behaviour. William explains there may, however, be some signs that a child or young person has been groomed and abused. Behaviours that can be seen uh, from children may be um, 
sexualized behavior against other children, um, increase of uh, erratic emotional responses, changes from their normal way of acting. This may be misinterpreted by parents as acting out or problem behaviors, maybe drinking, alcohol, um, access to drugs. Um, however, exploring what's behind that maybe better understand that there may be abuse, there may be some trauma, there may be some other issues going on, that these behaviours are different to what they normally present themselves as. He says there are similar signs in adult victims. For example, victims may withdraw from friendship groups and social activities. They might become unusually serious or act in ways in which they normally wouldn't. Victoria Police's socket investigators regularly see the impact the offender's power, control and manipulation has on a victim. One case that I've had was an incest case and Dad would say that to her, this is how daughters and fathers love each other. This is Detective Sergeant Joanne MacDonald. You might remember her from episode three. So, and it's not until she's, um, you know, 15 at high school talking to her girlfriends going, they don't do that with their dad, is this wrong? But it was only through hearing other kids talking that she understood it's wrong. So that's that distorted, the grooming is, is so very powerful mentally for these kids that it allows the offending behaviour to continue. Joanne worked on Lucy's case. During the investigation, she also uncovered a history of family violence against Lucy's mother from a previous marriage. Lucy's stepfather preyed on this vulnerability and used it to isolate his wife from her children. Um, mum would be off at work or mum would be drunk or passed out or at the neighbour's house, he'd isolate her. And a lot of, he would be very um, violent towards her as well and the kids would see that violence so they know and that was purely to show them, I can do this to your mum, your mum's meant to be the one that can protect you and look how I can control her so do you think you're kind of going to stand a chance? That would have been the mentality and the message he's trying to give to the kids. William explains there are many parallels in offender behaviour when it comes to family violence and sexual offending. They're picking on the victim's vulnerabilities, creating an environment where they can't leave or that they're scared to or that they're self-blaming and then the behaviour can happen and the behaviour is less likely to be stopped. By the time the, the sexual behaviour is happening then it's like um, well nobody's going to believe you or um, if I leave who's going to pay the rent? Or if you tell your mother, she's going to be really hurt. But there is no single profile that fits a sex offender. Uh, there's male offenders, there's female offenders, there's young offenders, there's older offenders, there's different ethnic groups, there's different religious groups. All of these factors mean that there's, there's not one specific group of people who can classify as sex offenders. But what they do have in common is these distorted views about the world. What they do have in common is these psychological phenomena that drive them to practice uh, uh, behaviours in a negative way and to cause harm. The only generalisations that can safely be made are that sex offenders are typically male and generally known to their victim. William has done hundreds of hours of treatment with sex offenders. He says that as with any behavioural change, success of the treatment strongly depends on the individual. It's down to the person's own uh, motivation, their willingness to try new strategies, um, their openness to accept and search out support when they need it. One of the things we definitely find from sex offenders um, is the isolating factors of it. They have to live in this fantasy because if you bring the fantasy to other people, it's going to be the bubbles burst. If you said to your friend, oh, um, I'm thinking about um, 
spending some time with my stepdaughter sexually, of course they're going to go, you know, are you insane? Are you going to hurt? You know, so you don't. So you have to keep it to yourself. And that isolating factor is one of the key components. They choose to keep it to themselves, and then that creates this sort of echo chamber when they justify and re-justify their own behaviour. It's okay. It's reasonable. Some offenders are now also using online platforms to escalate their abuse. We'll discuss this further in the next episode. As we've said in previous episodes, victims are never to blame. It is always the offender's choice to create the harmful, abusive relationship and to use the victim sexually. As we heard from Lucy, her stepfather would often give her money to stop her telling anyone about the abuse. He would also isolate and alienate her from both family and friends. We weren't allowed sleepovers or have friends sleepover. He would just punish me for no reason. I was tired. I argued for a bit, but then became exhausted and defeated. I couldn't fight him. I was lost. Lucy's stepfather used his position within the family to make her feel helpless. William explains how offenders use tactics of power and control to sexually offend against their victims. The authority and the control allows uh, has no sexual element to it usually, um, but it allows the person doing the offence to create an environment that is then safe, and that's usually placing blame on the victim or making the group victim feel good about themselves um, by buying them or treating them specially, and then later on when the relationship's strong and they feel that you know there's a divide or there's an isolating factor that then those, uh, the sexualisation of, uh, of the relationship can commence and they're unlikely to report about it. Sex offenders will often prey on people or children who are already vulnerable. They may target a person with low self-esteem or depression, a child or adolescent who's acting out, or people with a disability. William explains how this enables the offender to justify their behaviour. Research shows Quite clearly, there's a higher incidence of sexual abuse victims with intellectual disabilities, acquired brain injuries, mental health issues, and Indigenous people. Often offenders will target these people specifically because the lack, the reduced chance of being uh, detected, uh, the lack of support networks around them, their key vulnerabilities, their ability to report on this, and definitely their ability to be believed. It's common for a victim to be silenced by fear of the offender because of threats they've made against them. I was withdrawn from social activities. I didn't play sports outside of school. I was always getting into trouble at primary school and in high school, hoping someone would notice me. Some did, but was quickly shut down from my parents. I had a mental breakdown at 16. I turned to drugs and alcohol to numb the pain. He took a part of me all those years ago. It's gone. I spent my whole life trying to get it back. Until one day, I accepted I won't. In many cases, the grooming, lies and follow-up intimidation is so thorough that it allows the abusive behaviour to continue for years without detection. Some research has found that it's common for children to maintain a relationship with the perpetrator following sexual abuse. This is especially so when there's continuing contact, such as in a family, a church or a school. Lucy was not the first child in her family to be sexually abused by her stepfather. Close to 20 years after the abuse started, Lucy and her older sister discovered they were both victims. There was a brother as well and he was never offended against because it's, this 
particular offender had um, females was what his cycle was. Um, so he offended against um, the elder sister, um, would get her to come into the room, um, to his bedroom, and the offending would happen in there. So, you know, you need to come and brush your hair would be a, like a word and she would have to go in there, shut the door and you have a towel on the bed. So she knew there were the cues that she knew this is going to happen. Her stepfather used the same grooming tactics on both Lucy and her sister. She she got to um, an age where I think she was too old for him. Um, so he then just, she just said the offending just stopped and so she just thought, I'm fine. Um, and then what had happened is he'd started to offend against the younger sibling, so the brother was in between. So, and at that point, you know, obviously having been a victim of his, the elder sibling wouldn't want to be around, would try to kind of get out of the house, which is perfect for him. He can isolate further. It wasn't until both victims had their own families that they decided to formally report the matter to Victoria Police. It's usually when victims then start growing up and they have their own families. They suddenly re realise the vulnerability of their own children and they go, I have to stop this from happening to my child. So that, and that's what in this case it was. It was incredibly important for Joe as the investigating detective that the sisters didn't share their stories with one another. And as much as you would want to because it's your sister and she's been through what you've been through, in terms of the court case, you don't want the defence to say, well, you're colluding, you're, you've made this story up against my client, because this stuff happened. It, it really happened to them and it was, it was so, um, affected her life in such sad and dramatic kind of ways. Lucy's stepfather has since been convicted at court. He's currently in prison. Joe reflects on Lucy's powerful victim impact statement. When we first started, um, you had to get permission from the court for the victims to not be in the courtroom with the offender in the trial so they could do it via the video links, whereas now the legislation is so much better, it's a natural, you don't have to be in the courtroom with these offenders, but she wanted to be in the courtroom and they put a barrier between her and the doc so she couldn't see him and I remember her giving her evidence to the jury and it, the air was like so thick and every single member in the jury, 12 people, leaning forward, like just totally engrossed in her, in, her, in what she was saying happened to her. Um, and you can, the physical reactions of her, the, the tears, the, the stress, the distress with it all, like it was so real. And I, I remember watching the jury walk out and they were exhausted and it was so brave of her because it is safer to sit and just talk to the TV screen, but it didn't portray the actual physical and emotional effects it had on her. Lucy likens the emotional effects of child abuse to stages of grief. She's finally reached a place of hope and acceptance and wants to share this message with others. But if I could say one thing to one person going through this right now, I would say, you are beautiful, you are worth it. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Life doesn't throw at us what we cannot handle. There is a way and you will find it. You are strong and don't give up. I will always struggle with the effects of being sexually abused. Confronting my abuser and getting justice was the first step in healing. I'm a stronger person today. Unspeakable is brought to you by Victoria Police. If you have been a victim of a sexual offence, please call triple zero or your local police station. For additional support, 
Kaza's confidential 24-hour sexual assault crisis line can be reached on 1800 806 292. Thanks for listening.